this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, please contact Nexus Church. G'day everybody, how are we? Doing good, feeling relaxed? I've realised that's what I say every time I hop up here, feeling relaxed. And we should, this is family. We get to do this together and um, Pastor Glenn shared an incredible message this morning and if you, if you weren't here, please jump on our website and listen to it. It is unbelievable. It is one of the best messages you'll hear. He talks about the theology of weakness and the essential need of weakness and in our lives for the Holy Spirit to move. And uh, it, it actually ties really well into where I'm hoping we can go tonight. And I'm continuing our That's Jesus series. And as you can see, Jesus is a lion, apparently, a big old cat. Um, and I, I really love this, this series. And in that video, um, Jeremy said this line. He said um, that God is not intimidated, intimidated by our dysfunction. And that really captures the heart of this series, that, that God wants to engage our brokenness and He's not intimidated by your dysfunction. He is an almighty, powerful God and He wants to engage you right where you're at. He doesn't expect you to come up to where He is. He wants to engage you where you are. So uh, I just want that to get into your heart tonight. Uh, we've been talking about lots of different types of brokenness. We're talking about uh, Pastor Cam shared when Jesus went back to Nazareth and, and Jesus basically said to them, he quoted Isaiah and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and went through all the things of, that his ministry would be. Pastor Josh last week spoke to us about spiritual blindness. And this week I'm going to um, go into a different type of brokenness and it's, it's something that you find in all circles. Everywhere you go, you will find this brokenness. It's something that we both celebrate and despise in each other and in ourselves. It's something that outside of Christianity, this isn't actually considered brokenness. I think that this one could actually be described as the sneakiest of all the sins. It's, it creeps. It creeps up on you and you don't know it's there. C.S. Lewis describes it as the great sin. It's the only sin that can really block what Jesus wants to do through you and in you. So that brokenness that I'm going to be speaking to tonight is pride. So um, as I'm sure you would understand, this week preparing this message, I've been completely confronted with how much pride I have in my own life, which is a joy. It's so good. Every week when we prepare messages, we, we sit with each other and we say, oh, what, what do you think this is saying? And I, was, I was sitting with Smith this week and we read the, the passage and then we just both went silent. We're just like, oh man, I'm so proud. But the good thing about speaking about pride is we're also going to talk about humility. And that's something that in Christian circles, I think we're the only people that really want to pursue humility. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But before I get into that, I want to share a little story. I was, I was thinking about how many personal stories I share. And if I lose my mind later in life, I'll just listen to my own messages and hear a little memoirs of my life. So it'll be good. When I was uh, eight years old, obviously, I grew up in Narandra and I grew up, it was uh, about 10 minutes out of town on a five-acre block of land. And it was, I loved it. It was such an incredible way to grow up. We had trees everywhere. I loved climbing. I still believe that I'm the missing link for evolution. I reckon I'm that in-between human and monkey person. And I've just always loved climbing trees. And there was this one particular tree. It's all good. We're not talking about creation tonight. Um, there's this one particular tree right up the back of our property that I loved. And Dad had gone and he chopped all the branches off. So basically, they were just stubs all the way up the tree. It was about a 10-meter tall tree. And I, I love climbing up, but I get bored climbing down. So what I would do was I, I went to Dad's shed and I, I got his best rope, this, this grotty old rope, 
whacked it over my shoulder because in my mind I'm MacGyver. And interestingly, I did a personality test and I've got the same personality as MacGyver, so that made me feel good. One of my mates had the same personality as Dwight. <laughs> Sucks to be him. Um, anyway, I put the rope over my shoulder and I started climbing the tree. And when I got to the top, remembering I'm eight years old, I did a little knot on the top and just hurled myself off the tree and started abseiling down it. And I did this lots of times. I would do this most days and go out and I really enjoyed it. This one particular day, I, I had my best friend over. His name was Christopher Bradkey. So Christopher Bradkey and I were, were heading out the back and I was like, mate, let me show you something cool. And I climbed up the tree with my rope, tied on the rope, and said, watch this, Christopher Bradkey. And I jumped out off the tree, and it came loose. And I just fell from the top, straight down, smack onto my back. Christopher Bradkey runs to my parents, and he's like, Andy's stacked it. He's fallen out of the tree, onto his back, and he's not moving. Something you really want to hear as a parent. So they came running to see me, and luckily I was only winded, because um, again, I'm part monkey, so I'm all good. I'm good at falling from trees. And mum and dad basically said to me, you're not to do that anymore. The reason I share that story is I was putting my faith in my ability as a, of tying knots as an eight-year-old. And I feel like this, as, as I go through this message, I just want you to have that in the back of your mind because so often what we do through life is we walk along and we, we put faith in these things that we really shouldn't. And that's really the essence of pride. So if you have your Bible, if you can open up to Luke 18, 9 to 14. And we'll read it together. If you don't, it's all good. We have it on the big Bible over there. Luke 18, 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So basically Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees or people that were confident of their righteousness. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can you understand why I was so confronted this week when reading this passage? It's full on. Jesus is presenting us a very clear picture of pride. And so the, the one for us, I, I think when we read about Pharisees now, we kind of know, we don't love Pharisees, right? When we hear it, we kind of have negative feelings towards them. For the people that Jesus were talking to, they loved Pharisees. They were really high in that they had a high social status in society. They were really well looked upon and they were seen as living the closest of anybody to living out the laws of the Torah. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were seen as the scum of society. They were, looked they were really looked down upon because they were considered traitors of the Hebrew community because they were essentially working for the people that had overthrown their people. And so they didn't like them. So when they were hearing this story they would be thinking, Pharisee is a good guy, tax collector is a bad guy. So when we read this, we need to also have that picture. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, my first reaction was, gee, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee. Can you see the irony in that? I've become the Pharisee. I'm doing exactly what the Pharisee said. So as I said, we're going to talk about pride, but first, let's talk about humility, because that's something that we obviously all want. Um, interestingly, when I was uh, thinking about this, I was, I was, and this might show my naivety, but I was like, is humility one of the fruits of the Spirit? 
is it one of the fruits of the Spirit? And it's not. But I think sometimes we think of it in line with those things. In Galatians 5, when it talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think often we would think humility is in that, that same section. And that would suggest that it's something that we can grow in ourselves and we can get better at. But tonight I want to suggest that, that maybe humility is actually just the absence of pride. So humility isn't something that we need to strive for because that in itself is backwards. But more, if we can dismantle the pride in our lives, then we will be humbled and we will have humility as one of our character traits. So, as we go through this passage, what I want to do is there's three things, because in all Christian sermons you need three things. Uh, We're going to look at three identifiers of pride in your life. And again, this isn't something, let's not be the Pharisee here, let's not say this message is for someone over there. Pride always has to be something that we we um, engage in ourselves and, and that we are willing to confront in ourselves. So, as we go through this, I just want you to think, is this identifier of pride in my own life? So, the first point that we can see here is that pride wants to take the place of prominence. Pride wants to be seen and heard. If pride were an animal, pride would be a peacock. The peacock... Of <laughs> I'm going to go here. The peacock do an interesting ritual when finding their mate. The peacock are one of the most beautiful of all the birds. They have these incredible blue and green feathers that stick straight out the back. But when they're ready to find their mate, or when they're ready for mating season, what they do, yes, we're talking about peacocks mating seasons right now, what they do (laughs) is they find a female peacock, which I believe has another term, but I didn't research it too much because I thought IT would come for me if I'm looking up the mating rituals of peacocks, but they, they find a female peacock, they, bam, they whack their feathers up, like a Las Vegas showgirl, this peacock has its, its feathers up, starts strutting around, does a little how you going dance in front of the female, and the female then chooses yay or nay. This is pride. Pride wants to be seen. Pride wants to puff up its feathers and say, look at me, killing it. And the other thing that they do, we've all heard the noise that peacocks make, is this noise is the noise they make to attract a mate. And it's, I'm not going to make the noise, it's actually one of my skills, but I'm not going to make the noise tonight. (laughs) <laughs> you're going to be disappointed. Interestingly, that's, uh, that's why they make the noise, because often the, with the peacocks, the females aren't interested, so they actually pretend. They make this noise. I, I'll make it. It won't be to people online. You may not be able to hear it. Thank you. Thank you. So pride is running rampant in my life right now. I'm very proud of my peacock noise. It's actually something I've been trying to hide for a long time. Every now and then it comes out. Anyway, so this noise, basically peacocks would let out this noise to let other peacocks around know that they would be a good partner for the, for the female peacock. You get where I'm going. The Pharisee is a lot like the peacock. The Pharisee wants to pump himself up. Let's just even have a look at at where they're going. You have the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee walks into the temple, into the synagogue, and heads straight to the front. You can imagine him standing next to the burnt offering and just 
saying this prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that he says to himself, but this prayer is obviously for other people. And he says this, he wants to be seen, he wants to be heard. The tax collector, on the other hand, slinks into the back. If we were in this room, he'd probably be hiding up the back near the kitchen somewhere, not really wanting to be seen, but still wanting to encounter God. And this is what's important about pride. You, if you're trying to be seen, if you're trying to be heard, if you're trying to be a peacock, then pride is running rampant in your life. And this is one of your identifiers. So how would this look for us? At your workplace, are you trying to get that promotion? Are you trying to get that good desk? Are you trying to be the one that's heard amongst your staff meetings? Are you the one trying to get all the praise of people, let them know how well you're doing? Are you trying to be seen and heard? The next point that we've got is pride is competitive. And this is the, the key to getting to the heart of pride, that, that pride in its very nature is competitive. C.S. Lewis has an incredible book called Mere Christianity. Uh, and if you want to read a great book, get C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. He, he does a whole chapter on pride. And I'm, I'm just going to read out what he says because I can't do it any better. He says this, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And this is what we see in this parable. We see it in the Pharisee's prayer. You know, his, um, his righteousness is riding solely on the moral failures of others. He's there praying, he's like, oh, Lord, I, I thank you that I'm more righteous than these murderers, evildoers, adulterers, even that tax collector standing back there. And he uses his gauge of righteousness of those that are clearly unrighteous. You know, we do this, we make excuses for ourselves, we, we make exceptions for ourselves because of what others are doing around us. You know, maybe, maybe you're saying, I don't have, I'm, I'm pretty stingy with money, yeah, but at least I'm not being dishonest and scamming people. Or maybe, maybe you're saying, yeah, I got a little bit tipsy at the party on the weekend, but Daryl was wasted. Or maybe you're saying, yeah, I got a porn problem, but at least I'm not sleeping around. And so we use these these guides or these, uh, these comparisons of people around us to justify our own righteousness. And when we're doing this, when we're comparing ourselves to others, pride is evident in your life. The third thing. So we've got pride takes the place of prominence. So pride is a peacock. The second one, pride is competitive. Pride compares. The third one, Pride is self-reliant. And this is, for us as Christians, this is a really key one. The world tells you to go for it. You can do this. It's all within you. You've got it. And what we do is, I feel like we do exactly what the Pharisee did. We go and place ourselves next to the burnt offering. The offering that was there as a, as a, um, a something for their sins, like a sacrifice... <laughs> for their sins and it, it was a, like a payment in those times and, and the Pharisees going and standing next to it and saying, like, that's good, but this is good too and together we're good. 
there's a self-reliance there. You know, it's like at Christmas, when, when someone gives you a gift, let's say um, Lockie, back there in the sound desk, buys me an amazing Christmas present, and he, he buys me uh, a set of golf balls. Thanks, mate, very generous of you. And he brings them to me, he wraps them up, he goes out and buys them, wraps them up and brings them to me on Christmas, gives them to me and says, Merry Christmas, I bought these because I wanted to buy you a gift. And then I take the gift, unwrap it, and before I even say thank you, I reach into my pocket, pull out my wallet and say, yeah, we'll go halves. We'll go halves on the gift. What you've done in that moment, you've, you've stolen his ability to give you the gift. And this is what we do with our faith. You know, we, the, the topic is, that's Jesus. And you may have noticed I've just been talking about pride, but what pride does is it tries to rob us of everything that Jesus wants to do in your life. And this is the key of pride. This is why we need to dismantle pride, because while pride is there, we don't leave space for Jesus to move. The Pharisee and the tax collector, they are not a spectrum. You don't have one end of the spectrum and the other where you can place yourself somewhere in there. You are one or the other. And that's pretty confronting. I'm either proud or I'm humble. Full on. This is why this was a big week. But Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. For this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You know, we've been talking a lot about discipleship this year and it, it can sometimes, you can trick yourself with discipleship into thinking that you take the baton from Jesus. Jesus doesn't start the engine and then you drive the car. Jesus starts the engine and then he drives the car. And pride makes you think that after he's got it going and he's, he's walked me into the, thr the throne room of grace, I can say, say, thanks Jesus, I got it from here. That's self-reliance. And we need to be so aware of this because absolutely we want to live good lives and absolutely we want to be better and we're called to work at it, but we can never think that our good works are enough to get us into heaven. We can never think our good works are enough to save us. It's only by Jesus that we can do that. So tonight, I'll invite the band to come and join me. Tonight, I want to invite you to make the choice to stop relying on your ability as an eight-year-old to tie knots. When you're climbing that tree, I want to encourage you to stop relying on what you bring to the table and be completely reliant on what Jesus has for you. You know, why, why, why do we like pride? Why do we go for pride? Well, let's look underneath what's going on. Why does pride make us want to see, be seen and heard? We want to feel validated. We want to feel seen. But we don't need to be seen by each other. We need to be seen by the Creator. We need to be seen by Jesus. Why do we compare ourselves to others? I think as Christians, we kind of want to know we're doing all right. We kind of want to know that we're actually walking the road of discipleship. But this verse in Colossians, is, it's incredible. Colossians 1.22, it tells us that He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Because of what Jesus has done, 
you are presented holy, blemish-free, without accusation. You know, it doesn't matter how you live your life because of what Jesus has done, He presents you blemish-free and free from accusation. Absolutely, we're going to want to live a good life. We're going to want to better ourselves because He calls us to do that. But we can't be deceived into thinking that this is part of what saves us. That's when pride starts to creep in. The last one, are you trying to be the answer? Are you being self-reliant? There's a reason that John 3.16 is such a famous verse. It's a powerful verse. It's what ticks us over as Christians. It's got it all in there. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You know, pride's trying to take the place of Jesus in your life. So it's up to you to identify those areas of pride and lay them down. Dave actually sent me a, a text this week. He knew I was talking on pride and he's, um, he's very eloquent, Dave. He writes very well. And I want to read what he wrote. To be fully known and to know God means to understand not just our brokenness, but God's recognition of us, His acceptance of us despite our frailty. That is the true cure for pride, to know the one who bears no pride, even though he is in the ultimate position to possess it. So how can we humble ourselves? We just need to lay down our pride. There's no five-step plan that I've got for you. We just need to lay down our pride. There's no character walk to build humility in your life. You just need to lay down your pride. So tonight, and I know, I know many of you do believe in Jesus and what He's done for you, let's not let pride start to pull that away from you. Let's not let pride be a blockage to what Jesus has for you. He has an incredible plan for your life. He has many things ahead of you that He has in store. Pride wants to rob you of that. Pride wants to rob you of what Jesus has for you. So why don't you jump to your feet? Matthew 5.3 tells us that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, if you compare yourselves to other people in the room, you won't consider yourself poor in spirit. You think you're doing all right. But when you have a view of the almighty God that we serve and His majesty, that's when you know that you are poor in spirit because I've got nothing to offer. I'm just an eight-year-old tying a knot on the top of a tree. I don't need to do that. I don't need to rely on my own knots anymore. Jesus has come and paid the price. Through Him we are saved. So I want to invite you tonight to lay down your pride. I'm responding to this. I feel like we all need to respond to this daily. Just be aware Pride is trying to make its way back in. 
We just need to lay it down again. So if you're comfortable, you just put your hands out in front of you and close your eyes. I'd love to pray for you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us. Lord, we choose to lay down our pride tonight. Lord, we're sorry that we think that what we bring to the party is enough and we put you on the sideline. Lord, we once again say you are Lord. You are Lord of our life. Lord, you are our Savior. Thank you for saving us. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to earth and paying the ultimate price so that we can be presented blameless in front of the creator of the universe, in front of our heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and you reveal to us the areas of pride we have in our own lives. Lord, that we would lay them down at the cross. Lord, that we would lay them down at your feet. Lord, we want to be a humble people. We want to be humble so that you can do everything you want to do. Lord, we want to be humble so that you can speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to be humble so that our eyes are open to what you're doing. So, Lord, tonight we choose to lay down our pride. Forgive us for being full of pride, Lord. Forgive us for thinking we're enough. But thank you, Lord, that you are more than enough. You are everything we need. Thank you, Lord. Amen.